Um, we are going to be in Proverbs today, so I encourage you to have your Bibles to Proverbs 31. We'll be reading that text in just a few moments. The title is, An Excellent Wife Fears the Lord. The woman who fears God is a blessing to others and is worthy to be praised. So today is Mother's Day, so we're specifically looking at men, and, or specifically looking at women and mothers. You'll see. Um, whatever. Um, you ever hear, and some of you say this, and, and so people say, well, why do we need Mother's Day? Can't we celebrate mothers every day? It's kind of the same thing. Why do we need Valentine's Day? Can't we celebrate... Um, every day. I despise those thoughts, just so you know. If you're one of those people, don't come talk to me. I, I think it's terrible, terrible, illogical reasoning. Um, I mean, yeah, celebrate your wife every single day in unique, special ways. And if you have that gift, amazing. Please come teach me, teach us all. However, what I find is that the majority of us we take that which is common for granted. We take uh, on mothers, we, we take them for granted. We take fathers, like Father's Day, we take that for granted. We need Valentine's Day to help remind us and, and to give occasions for these things because when it comes down to it, we don't naturally set time aside to specifically celebrate, to honor. And so if you're one of those people who does that just all the time in amazing ways, I'd love for you to come teach us all. But my guess is you don't. And so please... Don't ask that question. Take this day and honor, honor wives, honor, honor mothers. On Father's Day, let's honor the men. On Valentine's Day, let's honor marriage. Let's honor relationships. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at Proverbs 31, and, and it's talking about the excellent wife. Now, you might be here and you're not married, and so you're saying, how does this apply to me? Well, maybe some of you will be married at some point, so this is going to give you instruction on on what it looks like to be a godly wife. If you are married, it's going to show you what does it look like to be a godly wife. Now, maybe you're here and you're saying, look, I'm, I'm probably not going to get married. Uh, this will be still amazing instruction that teaches us, for one, just what it looks like to be a godly woman, what it looks like to be a godly person. Also, on how do we counsel other women, this text will give us wisdom. And, and one thing we're going to see is that this text actually leads us to a better understanding of Jesus and the church. And so it's not just about women, but it's going to be about the gospel as a whole. Now, if you're a man here and you're saying, great, finally, a text for my wife, uh, you get her all straightened out. We'll just keep, you know, using Proverbs 31. Uh, this text is actually extremely applicable to you because it's actually written to a man. It's not about women. It's about a man. So that's why I got tongue-tied there, in there earlier. And you'll see it as we go through. It's written about a wife to a man for the instruction of what this man is to look for in a wife. And so, men, let us be very, very um, ready to listen to the message that God has for us today because it's written to men on, on how do we prepare for marriage? What does it look like to be a godly man? Um, and so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to stand. We're going to read Proverbs 31. We stand here at the reading of God's word in order to honor God because we believe his word comes to us fully inspired with his authority. So we're going to read the whole text. It's a little bit of a marathon. If you need to sit, that's okay. Um, or if you want to kind of go up and down a couple times, that's okay. Proverbs 31. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? 
Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for the rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those who are in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night, provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchant that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for her, all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed covering for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for this text that comes at the end of Proverbs. We thank you for the instruction of what it looks like to be a godly, a godly woman who fears the Lord. Instruction on what it is for a man to, to look for a wife and how we do that. Lord, I pray that as, as we look at this text today, that your spirit would give us wisdom. That we would see women in the role that they have and the blessing that they are. That we would see the value of them. And how ultimately they lead us to a better understanding of Jesus. To a better understanding of the role of the church. And the gospel that you have given us. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for this morning. In your name, Jesus. Amen. You all may be seated. Um, can you grab my phone? I'm actually supposed to be controlling this slideshow, and, and I didn't. Let's see if I can. There's times that I, I control it, and, and today there, there's a lot up there, so it might be a little easier. So we thought. But that was probably under the understanding I would actually be ready. Bill, you put too much confidence in me today, and now I, I, I can't do anything. I need it. All right, here we go. Maybe. There's the, there's the, there's the question one. Okay, we're good. Yay. Um, 
you come back, Proverbs 31, our text today, it's written by King Lemuel. But notice that this teaching is an oracle given to, him, given to him by his mother. So it's written by a mom. This is a Mother's Day text. It's written by a mom to her son on instructions on, on what it looks like to be a godly king. And so we're going to start out. She, gives, um, she starts out in verse 3. Three times she asks the questions, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? So by asking that three times, it's drawing our attention. It's escalating our anticipation of what is he doing? What is he to be doing? And notice she, she says, what are you doing, son of, what are you doing, my son, son of my womb, emphasizing the relationship, son of my vows that might make us remember Samuel and, and Hannah in the Old Testament. Hannah prays for a son. She's blessed with Samuel. Samuel then is dedicated to God. She, she gives him to God. So, so all, we kind of have this idea that the mother of King Lemuel has, has prayed for a son. She's been blessed with the king here, and her son. And now this is what she's helping to instruct him, that he would live in a way that would honor God. And she gives three instructions, two negative, one positive. The first one is, do not give yourself to women. We see that in verse 3. Now why? Well, it says it's the destruction of kings. Most likely, she's alluding to Solomon, who had 700 wives and 300 concubines, which led to the split of the kingdom. Throughout Proverbs, we're reminded of the pain and destruction of worthless women. Proverbs 27, 15 says, A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome woman are alike. So we're reminded of, of what happens if you marry a foolish woman. And then we have, do not, drink, do not drink strong wine. In verses 4 through 7, she instructs the king. Here, the focus is on a, a king needs to think correctly. He needs to be able to make good decisions. He sh his decision making should not be impaired through strong drink. Number three, we have a positive instruction. Be a righteous king for all in your kingdom. We see that in verses 8 through 9 when she's saying, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So she's saying, You're a king for the rich and the poor. Give justice to the rich and the poor. Don't show favoritism. Don't only favor those who are like you, but give justice to all even the poor. And then we go into verses 10 through 31, which it appears to also still be the teaching of the mother to her son. And so what we then have is we have the purpose of this passage is to instruct a young man, a king, on how to choose a wife. So while the main character of these verses is a woman, the target audience is a son. In fact, Proverbs, it's profitable for us all. It's a book written on wisdom and what does it look like to live a godly life, but it's written to boys. The word son is used 44 times in the book of Proverbs. It's written to young men who are growing up that they would be godly men and instruct their families and all. Now, it's not against women. In fact, uh, wisdom is often personified through Proverbs as a woman. And it's profitable for us all, but, it, but it's, got, it's looking contextually at boys and, and how do they grow. And so here we have a mother looking towards her son who she's dedicated to God and saying, I want you to be a good king. I want you to be a godly king. I want you to be a righteous king. If that's going to happen, you need a good, godly, excellent wife. 
And so that's why we have a passage about a woman who is, blesses others and is worthy of praise. Now, there's also some neat things here on structure. When we come to uh, wisdom literature like Proverbs or, um, or some more of the poetry like Psalms, we want to make sure we understand structure. Now, structure is always important, um, but especially when we're in these kinds of texts because sometimes um, the author will use certain types of um, writing styles in order to help us to better understand the message and to learn and remember the message. So, so one thing that the author does is he uses an acrostic here. Each verse, starting in verse 10 all the way to 31, begins with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet going from beginning to end. And so he begins, he walks our way all the way through so that we would remember if we know the Hebrew alphabet, which they would, uh, maybe not so much us today, but then they could remember exactly who this excellent wife is by remembering the alphabet. And so here, when an author does this, the point is not to make so much of a logical argument, but a memorable one. So the author is stringing together all these pearls to show the beauty of an excellent and godly wife. <coughs> But he uses something else here, too. And this is, um, this is one you might not be familiar with. It's called a chiasm. And so this is going to be a structural device used in, in wisdom literature and poetry where everything in the poem is paralleled. Usually something in the beginning is paralleled with something in the end. And the thing that's not paralleled is going to be the main point. So it's highlighted by its separateness and also its central placement in the poem. And so what we have here is a chiasm. Um, we have the high value of an excellent wife. That's where we start. If you look at verse 10, an excellent wife who can find. And then we have in verse 31... Give her the fruits of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Here we have this excellent wife being praised in the city. And so um, we have a husband who benefits. And down here at the bottom, the, her husband and the children are praising her because they've benefited from her. She is industrious working. We see later she works industriously. She does works of kindness. She teaches kindness. She's fearless. She's fearless, meaning she's planning for the future. She closed her household, we see that, and then at the very center, her husband's renowned respect. And we're gonna, this is why the point of the text is it's written to a king, and so it's highlighting there's only one phrase at all about the, the king, about the man in this, and everything else is paralleled about the wife. And so what we're going to see is, why does this king, why does this husband have this renowned respect? Why is he respected in all of this city, and what we'll see is it's because of his wife. And so, uh, who is this wife? Um, we're going to make our way through and just come and see just the qualities, the characteristics of this wife. Number one, she is rare. Verse 10, an excellent wife. Who can find? She's rare. She's not everywhere. Who can find her? You've got to hunt for her. You must search for her. She is far more precious than jewels. An excellent wife is a rare jewel that's to be sought, prized, and treasured. Now also here we have an excellent wife who can find, meaning that there's many women who are not going to be excellent wives. And we actually see that in Proverbs where oftentimes we see the foolishness of a woman. We see a lot of foolishness, foolishness things of men too. Um, to men, 
We must be careful. We must be thoughtful when looking for a wife. And once we find her, we, we treasure her. Men, we treasure our wives because she's more precious than jewels. Do you treasure your wife? Let her know you treasure her. Number two, she is trustworthy. We see that in verse 11. The heart of her husband trusts her. An excellent wife was full of integrity. And her husband has complete trust in her. Now, it's not that she does everything perfect. And in this proverb, we only have positives, right? Like, we don't see, like, all the negative things. Every woman, every man, we have great qualities and we have not so great qualities. But the point here, he's saying, this is what an excellent wife is. He's purposefully, intentionally looking at the blessings. He's not saying that she has no imperfections. That's not what she's saying. She's not saying that this woman is so high. I dare you to try to live to the standard. No, this is something that every woman can attain to, and we'll see how. But the point is, he's focusing on that, which is why she is a blessing. And she's full of integrity in all that she does. We also see that she blesses. If you look also in verse 11, the second half, he will have no lack of gain. Verse 12, she does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She, she blesses her husband. She does him good. She pleases and honors her husband. She makes his life better. She enriches everything. Now, now just think about this. If you're married, husbands, imagine what your life would look like without your wife. Imagine what your house would look like without your wife. Imagine what you would dress like without your wife. I still regularly, honey, does this, does this work? She's like, no, no, it, it doesn't. How empty would your life be? How stale and bland would life look and taste without your wife? A wife enriches all that she does. She brings colors and life to a family and to a home. We also see that she, she works. Now, now, this is interesting. When you read this, the primary description of a wife is that she works. I mean, that is the dominant characteristic of this woman. He, does, he only says one thing about beauty, which is later, but the dominant description is that she works. Look at verse 27. She's not idle. So what does she do? Verse 14, she obtains food. Verse 15, she provides for her maidservants. So here's a woman. She has servants, and yet she serves the servants regularly. This is who she is. She serves those who are called to, to serve her. Verse 16, we see that she, she buys a field. So Lemuel's mom is saying, look, when you're looking for a woman, you want one who works. Now, this isn't necessarily saying you have to work outside the home, but just one that is not idle, one that does not just sit around, but one who works. It, physical attraction is good, but he's saying that's not the only focus. In fact, that's not even to be the, the primary focus. If you look at verse 30, this is the only part in the entire proverb where we have anything about beauty, and he says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. So what he's saying is, don't primarily look at looks. Now, I think you should be attracted to your wife or your spouse. I think that's a good thing. So I don't think Proverbs is at all saying, you know, pick out the ugliest person you can find and marry them and you'll be set. We all know that beauty fades. So he's saying, look at what should be the dominant focus, not on beauty. Yes, be attractive, but that will fade. Does she work? Does she enrich all things? 
He's looking at what does not fade. He's looking at the character of this woman. And, and notice also that her, um, the fact that she works, the fact that she's selling things, the fact that she's doing things, does not make her stingy. It does not make her materialistic. If you look at verse 20, we see that she is merciful to the poor. She opens her hands to the poor, reaches out her hands to the needy. Notice these are active verbs here. She's looking for people to serve, looking for whom she can bless and help. She not only blesses her family, but she's a blessing to everyone she comes in contact with, and she looks to be a blessing to others. And she doesn't make discrimination. Just as King Lemuel's mom told the king, said, look, you're to be a king to everyone, to the, to the rich and to the poor. Show everyone justice. And so here this woman, she loves the rich. She loves the poor. She's blessing everyone she comes in contact to. She is righteous in all that she does. We also see she plans for the future. She doesn't just look at the here and now, but she's looking at the fall. Looking at 2018, looking in the future, what, what is to be needed. Verse 21, we're told, she's not afraid of the snow, which that sounds weird to us. Why? For all her household is clothed in scarlet. Some of yours might, might say that that also means that double thickness. She's prepared for her family. She's clothed them well, so when the snow comes, they will be warm look at verse 25 she laughs at the time to come meaning she's not threatened by the future i say threatened threatened by the future f and t they got confused she's not threatened by the future but she acts wisely because she's looking and she's planning for that verse 26 she teaches wisdom Look, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. An excellent wife is wise. She teaches wisdom to others. Now, surely this means she's learned. Now, it doesn't mean that she has to have a bachelor's degree, a master's, or a doctorate, but all the book of Proverbs is about how does one live a godly life. And so here at the end of Proverbs, we're having a woman who is wise in the word of God, wise in the teachings of God. So it's not that she necessarily has a college degree or some advanced degree, but she knows the word of God, and that has made her wise, and that is what she teaches. And so we have this amazing description of an excellent wife. And now, now look back at verse 23. I mean, this is interesting. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the, the elders of the land. So, why is he sitting? Is he lazy? It, does she work so hard because he's out playing poker with the guys, and so she's just trying to keep everything afloat? I mean, is, that, is that the point here? I mean, why is it that he is sitting at this gate while we have these 21 other verses about the description of this woman working and doing all of these things. Well, what we know about life back then is that to sit at the gate is most likely means he's an elder. And that the fact that he's sitting means that he's honored by everyone else. So this man is not lazy, but he's extremely well-respected. See, it's at the gates that the primary work and business transactions would be done. He's at work. 
And he's sitting, and so he's a very well-respected man. In fact, in 1 Kings 22.20, we see that King Ahab and King Jehoshaphat are sitting together at the city gates. This is a place of kings. This is a place of, of respect. And the fact that he's sitting means that he's very honored. So why is he honored? Why does he sit? Are we to think that, well, man, this is a self-made man here. Are we to think that he's obtained this honored position by the work of his hands? Well, he's sitting at the gate. He has all this honor because he just works so hard. One thing we we talk a lot here about is context. We always want the context to give our meaning of the text. So here we have in one verse, surrounded by this woman who is a blessing, who works hard. Why is the man revered? Why is he honored? It's because he has an excellent wife. That's the point. Here's the teaching of the mother to her son. She's saying, you want to be a good king? Do you, do you want to be honorable? Do you want to be respectable? Do you want to be a righteous king? You're going to need a good wife. And so the fact that he's there, the fact that he's sitting, is because he has a wife, an excellent wife. The man is who he is in public because of what his wife has done at the home. This is the teaching of King Lemuel here or the mother of King Lemuel. She's saying, don't look at the beauty only. Look for the excellent wife, the one who has character, a wise wife. Proverbs 12, 4 says, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Here we have, this excellent wife is the crown of her husband. He sits because of all the blessings that she is. Man, do you realize how greatly your life is impacted by your wife? Just just think about that. Women, I encourage you, do not underestimate your influence. I know that at times you wrestle most likely with value and worth of being a mother and a wife. My wife has told me many times that she, she does a job and it doesn't get done. You know, like there's laundry and as you finish laundry, there's more laundry. So you can't really check it off. In fact, before the laundry gets done, it's like there's the, the laundry hampers or whatever, they're, they're full again. I wonder if our kids just like go throw the clothes outside and then bring them back in so they feel like mom, I think they think mom likes to do laundry. Um, there's always meals to be made, always. We keep eating, imagine. Um, kids need to be picked up. You have to pick them up. Like, you get in trouble if you don't. Um, messes are needing to be cleaned. Groceries need to be bought. It's never ending. And so you think that you check it off the box, but then you just keep going. And it's like, well, we're just right back there again. Back at the grocery store, back at the meal planning, back at the making of meals, back at the picking up kids, back at the cleaning everything. But let me remind you, your work, your perseverance, it greatly serves and it impacts your family. Your hard work encourages and allows your husband to work hard this is why they compliment one another. the husband is at the gate because his wife works hard he wouldn't be at the gate sitting honored if he didn't have the excellent godly wife at home so they compliment one another they work side by side together so men i want to encourage you do not fail to honor and encourage your wife Again, I think it's easy to take for granted that which is normal to us, to that which we see all the time. 
And, and men, as we work each day and, and as we're doing our things, often we become fixated on the very things that we do that we often become blind to what other people do. But think about this. I would say probably at least 90% of the things we do, men, would not be possible if it was not for our wife. I'd say probably at least 90% of that would not be possible. So think about this, men. Your success, and whatever level that is, is directly related to your wife and her working and the things that she does. So men, I, I encourage you, do not take for granted. And so, why is this woman praised by all? We see in verse 28, her children praise her. Her husband praises her. Look at verse 31. We see that she's praised in the gates. Now remember, this is the workplace. This is where, in this culture, this is where the men would be. So are they talking about the wife? Maybe. I've kind of wrestled with this. Is it that she's so excellent that they, they're turning to King Lemuel and they're saying, man, your, your wife is amazing? Or is it through the praising of him that she is being praised? I kind of think that's what's happening He's being praised, and the only reason he can be praised is because of what she's doing, and so she's being praised indirectly through him. I think that's kind of what's taking place here. But regardless, what we see is that the woman is praised at home and in the city. Now, why? We see her character, but, but why? So I think there's at least four reasons. I put three in yours, but I added one. I was debating about adding it the whole time, and so I added it this morning, and so that'll be the last one. So number one, she embodies wisdom. The reason she's praised is because she embodies wisdom. The description of the excellent wife is not just a nice way to end the book of Proverbs. The author was in there, man, how do we just kind of put a little bow on this book, make it look nice? But she is the summary of the teaching of the book of Proverbs. In fact, all that we learn about wisdom is now seen in this woman. An excellent wife is, is rare and to be treasured. So Proverbs 3.15 says this, Wisdom is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. So she's more, wisdom is more valuable than jewels. It's rare. So is a wife. Just as an excellent wife is trustworthy, so is wisdom. Proverbs 8.8 says that all the words of wisdom are righteous they're always trustworthy just as an excellent wife works hard and plans for the future so does wisdom proverbs 6 6 says this go to the ant O sluggard consider her ways and be wise without having any chief officer or ruler she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest we regularly see all that we've learned about wisdom is now being embodied in this woman just as wisdom calls out in the streets and say come listen and if you listen you'll be blessed so we have a woman who teaches wisdom she embodies this wisdom so the reason she's praised is because she is wise now remember this is not that she has a bachelor's degree master's degree and some secular type topic which that's not wrong or bad at all but we're specifically looking at she's wise in the word of God. Now, now, why is she wise in the word of God? In chapter 1, verse 7, 
we're told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And what that means is that the fear of the Lord is the fountainhead of all wisdom. All wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord, comes from God. And if we look at chapter 31, verse 30, we see the excellent wife fears the Lord. And it's because she fears the Lord, that's why she's praised. So here we have, at the beginning of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. At the end of all at the end of Proverbs, this woman fears the Lord and therefore is praised at home. And see, she embodies all this wisdom. Why? Because she fears the Lord. So that's why, that's the second reason. In fact, the second reason is the basis for that first freedom. The only reason she's wise is because she fears. So what does it mean that she fears the Lord? Uh, so I, I came up with the definition a, a while ago, and I find that it it fits, and every time we come uh, to fear the Lord in the Bible, whether Old Testament or New Testament, and so my definition, it's simple and it's easy to remember, it's the right knowledge of God leads to the right response of God. The right knowledge of God leads to the right response of God. So when we correctly understand who God is, which is through faith, we're going to rightly respond to God, and we could look at many, many examples. Um, one example is, if you remember in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar builds a big statue and says, listen, when you hear the trumpets, ba- trumpets blow, everyone is to bow before the statue. And who doesn't? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar brings them up, says bow. They say no. He says, well, I'm going to heat up the fire even hotter. And he, they say, look, we will not bow before you you can throw us in the flames of fire and we will not bow we worship the one true god so what does he do he throws them in and miracle they're actually not burned but the the key is they fear god they look at king neb look at this fire and they're saying that doesn't compare we know god and we fear him so much more than you fear than we fear you and this fear isn't necessarily just a of fearful as in being afraid but it's this understanding i know who my god is he can save us if he doesn't save us we'll be with him anyway but no way would we ever worship something else we know the one true god and so because of their fear of god their right understanding of god they rightly responded to god and so what we have is a woman who rightly understands who god is and therefore rightly responds in all of life that's what it is that she is fear and that that's what it is that she fears god and that's what it means that that's why she is wise an excellent wife is honored by all because she fears god she knows god and she worships god she sees her life as a sacrifice and as an act of worship to god that's why the excellent wife, and we could look at the description here, or we bring it to the 21st century. Uh, in many ways, if we look at the home of much of the tasks that are done by the mother and the wife of doing the dishes, the laundry, the grocery, the cleaning, all the messes, the picking up of kids, all these things that could seem monotonous, could seem meaningless, the one who grows in the fear of the Lord and therefore grows in wisdom sees that all of this is actually an act of worship to God. And so while the world will say, oh, it's meaningless. You don't ever get to actually check it off or it always just continues. You could do so much more. 
but she sees that there is value in all of these tasks because as she does these things, she's making it possible for her family and her husband and her kids to do other things as well. She sees all of life as an act of worship because of her correct understanding of who God is. The third reason she is to be praised is because she pictures Jesus. And ultimately, we have a woman here who pictures Jesus. Jesus, we're told in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, contains all the wisdom and treasures of God. So here we have this woman. At the end of Proverbs, she embodies all of wisdom. But we know she doesn't do it perfectly because, well, she's still a sinful creature just like you and me. But she points us to one who, per- <coughs> who perfectly embodies all wisdom, who contains all wisdom, Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus do? He perfectly fears God in all of life. That's why he is wise in all that he does. He comes to earth. He leaves heaven, was born of a woman, was eventually arrested, crucified, and killed out of obedience to God, out of worship to God for the benefit of others. Jesus selfishly, sacrificially served others. If you um, read Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, and just, just listen, this is a description of Jesus, of who he is, and what he does, and what the result is of his actions. So just think about this, think about how he has feared God, and how um, this passage describes him. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, it's because of sin, the fact that we're all sinful, the fact that we're all unrighteous, the fact that all of us deserve the condemnation of God, all of us deserve wrath, that Jesus comes and he comes that he would live a life, a perfect life, a wise life, perfectly demonstrating the fear of God at all times, that he would then die on a cross so that we who believe in him could be forgiven, adopted of our sin, or adopted into his family, forgiven of our sins, and that we would be in his family forever. And notice what the result is of Jesus' life. God exalts him above all creation so that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. So here we have a, Jesus comes perfectly demonstrating the fear of God, wise in everything that he does, resulting in exaltation. Well, this wife, she pictures that. She fears God. She's wise in all that she does, resulting in her praise at home and in the city. So her wisdom and fear of God shows us really the life of Christ, that he comes perfectly, that he would live a wise life because we're not wise. He would be righteous because we're not righteous. He would fear, the God, he would fear God perfectly because we don't fear God perfectly. And he would be exalted, thus guaranteeing all who have faith in him and live a life a fear of God, meaning rightly knowing God, rightly responding to God, that we too would be exalted at the right hand of God forever. So this wife pictures Jesus. This is why you don't have to be a woman here for this text to be applicable to you. You can be a child. You can be a man. You can be married. You, do, you can be single. 
Ultimately, this woman is showing us who Jesus is and what he has come to do. But she also, and this is number four, she pictures the church. Andrew and I had talked about this, and I was like, I don't think I'll put that one in. But then I was going over it today. I was like, man, we, we really just got to make this connection too. The church is called the bride of Christ, right? We are the bride. We are the wife. Paul prays regularly in almost every letter that the church would grow in wisdom and knowledge of God. How does that happen? Only if the church is growing in the fear of God. And what we see in the book of Acts is regularly the church is fearing God. And as the church fears God, it grows in numbers and grows in wisdom of God. And so regularly throughout the New Testament, Paul's praying, grow in wisdom, grow in knowledge. That's only possible if we grow in our right understanding of God, that we'd rightly respond to God. The church, like the excellent wife, is to help the poor and to serve others. We're to help those within the church. We take benevolence offerings regularly. This last week, a person came to the door. It was his second time. He needed gas. He had his family with him. So we went and we blessed him and we encouraged him. And we we served him and told him about our desire to help him also spiritually. What we see is that this woman in Proverbs also leads us to an understanding of how we as a church are to live. We're to fear God as the bride of Christ. We're to grow in wisdom that we, remember Matthew 28, that as disciples we go make disciples and what do disciples do? We teach wisdom. What does this woman do? She teaches wisdom. What did Jesus do? He taught wisdom. What do we do as the church? We teach the very teachings of God that we would grow in knowledge of God That people would be saved by God and rightly respond to God. And and what's the result of the church? The church, as as we cling to Jesus, as we seek Jesus, we know that there's the wedding supper promised to us. And also in Revelation 2 or 3, I forget which one, we see that when Christ returns, the church will be exalted to the right hand of the Father, and, he will, and we will sit with Jesus on the throne of the Father. So again, what we see in, in here in this text is that the one who fears the Lord is exalted. Jesus perfectly did that, showing how he feared God, obeyed him in all things, and he was exalted. And we know that we too, as we've been saved and lived by faith in God, when Christ returns, we'll be exalted to the right hand of God. So this woman helps us understand not only the role of a woman, not only the role of a man, but also the role of the church. Helps us understand who Christ is, what he has done, and that the only reason any of us will ever be able to sit at the right hand of the Father is because of Jesus Christ coming and dying on the cross. He's the only reason we can have faith in God. He's the only reason we can fear God, rightly respond to God, and live for God, that we would one day be exalted and sit with God at the right hand. So moms, wives, you have an amazing role. You have a blessed role that every day you're revealing Jesus Christ to your family. You're revealing Jesus Christ to the world, to the city, you're also reminding us of what we as a church should look like every day. Don't underestimate your role. That would be a lie of Satan as he tries to come in and says, you could do so much more. You could be so much more valuable. Using maybe a worldly standard verse saying, if you fear God, the things you will do will be a blessing to all. So women, what kind of woman are you to be? Um, your primary 
goal should be to become more like Jesus. That's what we see here. This woman fears God. That's why she's a blessing to everything. Whether you're married, you're single, your primary purpose should be to become more like Jesus. This means there is nothing more important each day than you spending time in God's word, growing in your knowledge of God, that you grow in wisdom, in the fear of God, that you would rightly respond to God in all of life. Do not fall into the trap of thinking that you need to look like the fake airbrushed women of Cosmo and Maxim. You do know they're fake, right? Like no one actually looks like that. They don't actually look like that on those magazines. It's an immense amount of airbrushing. Don't compare yourself. Don't worry about those things. There is no greater thing than spending time in the Word of God. And I know that seems like an impossibility at times, for once you begin to wake up, you feel like the demands of life begin to pour over you. Well, you've got to get things ready for the day. You've got to help your husband. You've got to help the kids. You've got to get dressed yourself. You have a million things going on. But how are you going to respond to the spilt milk? How do you respond to the child who talks back? How do you respond when your husband comes home and he lost his job? How do you respond when money is tight? Having a clean house, looking like a Maxim model is not going to help in any of those things. The fear of the Lord, that you'd have wisdom, that's what will help. That is what will help guide the family, that they would know how to live and respond to God and flourish even in those times of difficulty. There is nothing greater than spending time in the word of God and, and I, I love a clean house my kids clean today already do you know that they clean today already I have them vacuuming I love a clean house and we didn't have a clean house this weekend because we just didn't it was kind of chaotic um, but I would rather have a wife who fears God and grows in the knowledge of God regularly than for every piece of dust to be picked up in the house and for every toy to be picked up. As much as I love those things, I'd much rather have a, a woman who spends time every day saying, I could do this, I could do this, and I could do this. But the first thing I will do is spend time in the Word of God, which will then prioritize everything else, that I will know how to do it and how to respond to those things. Women, there is nothing more important and your knowledge and growth in God, that you would live for God each day. Next question. Men, who do you marry? You marry a woman who loves Jesus. You marry a woman who fears God. You don't just find any woman. You don't just find the most beautiful woman you can find and say, that's her. I will woo her. But you find a woman who looks like Jesus, who lives like Jesus, who loves like Jesus. Find a woman who fears God. And I promise you, that she will become more beautiful in your eyes than any other woman. Find the woman who fears God. Don't find a woman who you hope will fear God, who maybe you do the flirt and convert method, has a very low success rate, very low. Well, she's really beautiful, I really like her, I'll date her, hopefully I'll win her to Jesus and our life will just get better. Don't go with that tactic. You find a woman who does love Jesus, Grows in, who's growing in the love of Jesus, who's challenging you in your love for Jesus, that's the one you marry. Husbands, how do you value and honor your wife then? So I came up with at least five things that I think could be easily be taken out of the text. Number one, if you're going to value your wife, you need to fear God. 
You need to know who your wife is. You need to know the role of your wife. You need to know the purpose of your wife, that she is there as a blessing. And so how do you, how do you love her? Well, you need to fear God. You need to be spending time each and every day in your Bible, that you would grow in the wisdom of God, that you would know how to love your wife. Men, there is nothing more important than you growing in your knowledge each and every day. If that means getting up earlier, that means getting up earlier, that you would be soaking in the wisdom and knowledge of God, that you would rightly know how to respond to your wife, that you would rightly know how to respond to the things that come throughout your day. Fear God. Number two, uh, pray for her. A husband that loves his wife prays for her. If you don't love your wife, you won't pray for her. And if you're not praying for her, you're not loving your wife very well. Pray for your wife. If the thing your wife needs more than anything else is to grow in her love for Jesus, is to become more like Jesus, then yes, she needs you growing in your love for Jesus and modeling it, but she needs you on your knees each day crying out, God, give grace to my wife. God, fill her with the fruit of the Spirit. Lead her by your Spirit that she would continue to grow in wisdom and knowledge. Help her to be patient with the kids. Help her to be patient with me. I need her to be patient with me because I'm sinful. Be on your knees every day for your wife. We don't do that to, to make her better. We do that because we love her. We're asking God to continue to work in her and through her. Uh, number three, shepherd her. Be an example. If the most important thing is that she grows in wisdom and knowledge of God, what should you be doing? Growing in wisdom and knowledge of God. That's the most important thing. Demonstrate gentleness to your wife. Show her that you love her. Be quick to apologize. Show her the love of Jesus every day. Shepherd her. Shepherd her. And number four, help her. If she's going to have time to grow, she's going to need help, right? So maybe this means you watching the kids so she can have a Bible study, or that she can go out with other women and do a Bible study, or she can take a nap. Sometimes that's pretty spiritual, right? Like a long time ago, Andrew and I were actually talking about this a while ago, like the whole idea of, you know, sometimes when you're struggling spiritually, sometimes all you actually need is, is sleep, and I was like, well, that's dumb. I mean, just pray more and, you know, become more like Jesus. Actually, sometimes if we actually just want to respond like Jesus, we actually need sleep. We need a rest. We need a nap. We need to be just that our body to be able to be relaxed and, yes, grow in your knowledge, grow in those other things, but sometimes a nap is good. So husbands, help out with that. Or, or maybe you just let her get out of the house. Amen. <laughs> I didn't say get her out of the house. <laughs> but true. Sometimes they just need time. Take her on dates, encourage her. Last one, encourage her. Speak words of kindness to her. Bring her flowers. Take her on a date. Again, some of you do that every day, which is why you don't need to celebrate Mother's Day. I'm telling you, those people. That's, we're not even going to go back to that one, but I really don't like those lines. Buy her a gift, make her a gift. It doesn't even matter. Just, just praise her. Let her know she's loved. Let her know she's valuable. Why, and why do we do that? To make her valuable? No, because she is valuable. 
A woman who loves God is precious in the eyes of God and therefore precious in our eyes. So we're not doing these things to manipulate or, or to make her better. We do these things because we honor her. We love her just as she's being honored by God. So we honor her as well. An excellent wife is one who fears God. She is rare and more precious than jewels. Women, do not underestimate your role. Do not think of your role as meaningless, but remember your role is extremely powerful and your family is directly impacted every day by what you do. Men, let us honor our wives. Let us love them as Jesus loves us. And together, let us grow in the knowledge of God. As a church, let us grow in the knowledge of God, that we grow in the fear of God. That we live in a way that honors him, knowing that one day we will all sit together with Jesus at the right hand of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of women. Thank you that women are a gift, that they would help us fear you. Lord, I pray that here at Timberline, for the wives who are here, that they'd grow in their fear of you. They'd grow in wisdom and knowledge of you. They would embrace the role that you have given them. Not the role of the world, not the meanings that the world gives, but the meaning that you have given. And the importance and the impact that you give, and the influence that you give. And Lord, may, may the women here treasure that. May we as men treasure that. May the children who are here help treasure their moms. Lord, we thank you that women, they're a picture of Jesus they're a picture of the church that together we'd grow in knowledge of you. Lord, we love you. In your wonderful name, Jesus, amen. Um, number one, if the godly wife is an example of the bride of Christ, can we say that the husband should be a model of Christ? Yes. Yes, we can. Um, just real quick, Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, the picture that Paul gives in Ephesians is that the wife does represent the church and that the husband is to represent uh, Christ. And so, yes, that is very, very true. Um, second question, what do I do if I was to marry a woman who is not an excellent wife? That's a good question. Like, what happens, and I think this is pretty common, what if you marry someone you think they're godly, but maybe they actually don't even know Jesus, and you only find that out years later? Like, what do you do? Um, I, I think you do the same thing. You're going to pray for them. You're going to model it before them. You're going to encourage them. You're going to try to uh, pray for them. Um, you're going to be shepherding them. You're going to uh, still be part of the church. Um, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult at times. You're definitely going to need other people around you praying. Um, but there's a lot of relationships where, or a lot of uh, husbands and wives where one is um, a Christian and one is not. And I think a lot of times people don't find that out till they're married because oftentimes I don't think we do such a good job dating. Um, sometimes I think we value other things than maybe what we see in Scripture. Um, so yeah, that's a real reality, but, but pray. God, God works powerfully through prayer, and we know that God can transform all people. And so um, I would just encourage you to be praying for them, uh, get other people to be praying, um, but continue to love them just as you would if they were a believer. And so that's a good question. Um, I'm going to pray, and then do you have one more? Okay, then we'll do one more. Father, thank you for this day once more. 
Thank you for the questions that we have. God, help us to regularly just be looking in your word, studying your word, that, God, we would grow in wisdom, grow in the fear of the Lord, that we would live as you have called us to. Lord, thank you for this Mother's Day. Lord, I pray that all the women here would be encouraged, the men would be encouraged, and as we walk out, as we walk out, we'd have a better understanding of our role and how we live as citizens in your kingdom. In your name, Jesus, amen.